Anyways, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians. We're continuing on in our series, How To. We've looked at forgiveness. We've looked at love. We've looked at uh, how do we edify, build up one another. Um, And and today, I want to talk about uh, everyone's favorite topic, serving. How do we serve one another? How do we serve one another? Now, today's sermon is going to be a little bit different than normal. And so, uh, bear with me as we uh, begin to walk through this. Now, uh, today... More and more people are seeking connection, and yet the funny thing is that we in our culture have never been more connected. I mean, people, if they want to find out something about you, it doesn't take but a few seconds, and they can get some very basic information about you from the internet. If you want to talk, if you want to communicate with another person, there's no problem in doing so. You can call, you can text, you can video chat, you can send messages over social media, and instantly you are connected to another person. Our ability to communicate is is the greatest that it's ever been, and yet still so many people feel disconnected. Still so many people feel lonely and even isolated in this life. Uh, there was a, a, a great author by the name of David Myers, and he wrote a book called The American Paradox, Spiritual Hunger in the Age of Plenty. Making an interesting and eye-opening discovery, he looks at modern culture and he begins to lay out some conclusions that he sees here uh, for us. Now I want you to look at the screen. This is one of the things he says. He says, never have we had so much and yet so little. Never have we had so much and yet so little. In his research, he begins to unpack and uncover what many people talk about and what many people are feeling in this culture today. They say that we work and we're educated. We say that we grew up in good homes or at least homes that helped us get through our younger years. We say things like, we have a job, and many of these people interviewed still said that they felt empty. That they felt empty inside. They said their self-esteem was high, but their self felt empty. They said that they were unhappy, and they had no real cause for their unhappiness. You know, here's some interesting insight. When he says people are more connected now through the internet and modern forms of communication, and yet they have never felt lonelier in this life. We seem to have so much and yet so little. Do you know, all the way back in the book of Genesis, God said that it was not good for man to be alone. And the implications and the understanding of that statement extends way beyond the beauty of marriage. Way beyond. In fact, it carries into every relational life that we have here in this earth with others. And for our context today, it has very deep implications within the church. I want you to note this this morning, that what we need to understand is that God wants us to connect to himself and also to one another. That's what God wants for us. He made that possible for us on the cross of Christ. That the cross was to be a picture of reconciliation. In fact, church, the only way any relationship will ever be healthy, the only way 
that any relationship will work is to regularly face the cross and be reminded of what Christ has done for each and every one of us. To love one another. To encourage one another. To serve one another. To do every other one another that is laid out for us in Scripture is only going to take place by facing the cross and dying to ourself every single moment of every single day. The church here that we're about to see in Scripture had completely forgotten that fact. They, they were a troubled church, as you will see as we begin to unpack. You talk about people having issues. This church here in Corinth was a train wreck, complete and utter disaster. You had people in the church abusing their gifts, talents, and abilities. You had people who were getting drunk at communion. You had incest that was occurring. You had harshness from the church leaders. You had heresy that was being taught from those who were in spiritual leadership. And that's just a, a few things that were going on in the church of Corinth. I mean, this church was so jacked up that Paul had to write his two longest letters in the entire New Testament to this one church. Just one. I want you to look at a couple of these verses that are going to hit the screen to hopefully give us not only a reminder, but a clearer picture of what was going on. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, listen to this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. You know, perhaps the number one thing plaguing the church, perhaps the number one thing plaguing the church then and today, their chief problem was that they had forgotten what Christ had done for them and they were acting just like they used to act. They were acting just like they used to act. They had completely become disconnected from each other and that's because they had become disconnected from the head of the church, Jesus Christ. You know, when we are disconnected from Christ, we try and we live independently and we begin to isolate ourselves. You know, the church was, has been designed by God and is such that we are to be interconnected. We are to be interdependent and interwoven just like the human body. This example given to us in the text is for us today. I just want to spend a moment though before we even dive into this scripture. And I want to tell you a couple of things that the church is not and what the church is supposed to be from a biblical standpoint. The, the church is not an ark for the saving of just a select few. The, the church is not a ferry boat that, effort, that takes effortless passengers to the shores of heaven. The, the church is not a life insurance company with no obligation on policyholders except for a small annual premium that's given every single year. The church is not a social set that only welcomes certain people into it and then excludes others from its fellowship. 
The, the church is not a Sunday pleasure club uh, the, for the providing of, of pleasant occupations on the day of rest. So then what is the church, pastor? What is it? Well, the church is a lifeboat for the rescue of sin-wrecked and perishing souls. The, the church is a family in which love and service are expected from each member to each member. The church is an organized community with constant activity and continual growth and development. The church is a company of believers who have found the one way of life and obey the one true Lord of life. The church is a union of those who love for the benefit of those who are suffering. The church is a center of of worship in which the spiritual life of each is helped by the spiritual life of another. The church is the representative, the body of Jesus Christ on the earth. It is the one that reflects his spirit and is also controlled by his will. And so if you would turn with me, if you're not there, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to pick up in verse 25. And he says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. All are, are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. You know, a lot of examples have been given to describe the church, but the picture of the human body was used. Because here is what we know, church, here is what we know about the human body. From a a scientific standpoint, the body must obey the head. The body has to obey the brain. It responds to the brain. And when it does not, something is messed up. Something is wrong. The parts of the body always work together. And for us, Jesus is the head of the church. And if we are the body and we are not responding to the head, we're not responding to the head, then something is desperately wrong in our lives. The eyes and the ears do not only serve themselves, they serve the whole body. The hands do not only feed and defend themselves, they feed and defend the entire body. The heart does not only supply blood to itself, but it supplies blood to every piece of the body. You know, sometimes there's a part of the body that only lives to serve itself. It doesn't contribute anything to the rest of the body, and everything it gets It uses to feed and grow itself, and we call that cancer. We call that cancer the one part that destroys something that is healthy. You know, we we can never serve one another, or as the text says here, care for one another until we are connected to the head and then interconnected with one another. You know, in this chapter, 
If we were to pull back the cover, and we don't have time to read the entirety of this chapter, but if we did, you, you would soon see that the word member is used over a half dozen or more times by Paul. And the point is very clear that we are members and we are to be living in obedience to God. But Paul could, Paul could have said, and I was thinking about this today, Paul could have, and some think he should have just come out and said right out of the gate, care, just care for one another. And he could have ignored, the, completely ignored the spiritual foundation that he was trying to lay here in Scripture and just say care for one another. Man, as I was even studying this portion of Scripture out several years ago uh, for one of my classes, I was like, come on, Paul. Don't bother the people with the theology behind what you're saying. Just tell us what to do. Anybody ever been in that place? Like, you know something's wrong in your life, and, and then the person who's trying to help you doesn't give you the answer. They just ask a bunch of questions. Just a little side note here. If you ever come to a counseling appointment with me, that's going to be me. I'm the guy who asks all the questions. But that's Paul. Paul's like, I'm not going to come right out and just tell you what to do. Why? Why do the questions get asked? Why all the foundation? Well, because Paul wanted more than just results for the Christians. He wanted the Christian to also have an understanding of why we do what we do. Because Paul knew that ultimately, the best results are based upon understanding. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning in this passage of Scripture, that as believers, we are to live together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are to live together you know, the reason why many people are so disconnected from each other is because they're not connected to Christ. That's why. Our vertical relationship always affects every horizontal relationship in this life. And our relationship with God becomes maximized when we are connected to other believers in the church. But here's the point in a nutshell for us. You know, God created us. And then he had to recreate us because of sin. And he has placed us in his body exactly where we are supposed to be. And has equipped us to do exactly what he wants us to do for such a time as this. I think the sad part is, is that when we fail to function as God intends, the church suffers. When we fail to function the way that the Bible has laid out for us in God's word, the church suffers. But not only the church suffers, so does our culture. Our culture suffers and Christianity ends up looking like just another dysfunctional religion that is out there in our society. You know, part of the problem in the church is our quote-unquote American mindset, right? We embrace individualism here in America. Would you agree with that? We embrace individualism. We embrace depend like independence, I can do it myself. I don't need help. I want it to look this way. This is mine. This is mine. This is, right? It's your truth. It's my truth. It's everybody else's truth. We just have to accept it because they believe in some truth. That's what our culture is teaching right now. And you see the natural man is always inclined to do his own thing, to go at it alone. But listen, church, the moment Cain killed his brother and dismissed his responsibility for his brother's welfare, man has continued in those footsteps. Since the book of Genesis chapter 4, 
A self-sufficient philosophy is a sinful way to think and to live. It is totally opposite of God's plan for his people. How many of you have ever read the poem or seen the movie Invictus? Several, several years old. There's a very well-known line in, uh, of Invictus. And it says this, that I am the captain of my fate and I am the master of my soul. That statement fully expresses the heart of a fallen man. Fully expresses the heart of a fallen man. The desire to be his own God and do his own thing without regard for other people. You know, to live totally independent from the plan and the purposes of God. But I love what Paul laid out in Galatians chapter 6 when he said this is going to hit the screen. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. If he thinks that he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. To think that you don't need the church is to think that you are something that you are not. It also limits our connection to God. Why? Because as a member of the body, we must stay connected to the head and learn to submit to his plans and purposes for this life. I, I love I love the fact that they use the, the human body as the analogy. Because it teaches us about the unity and the diversity of the body, of the body of Christ. You know, the human body is the most fascinating organic creation of God. It's one of the most fascinating. It is a marvelous complex yet unified with unparalleled harmony and interrelatedness at every turn. It is a unit that cannot be subdivided into several bodies. A hand or a foot becomes useless when it's disconnected from the body. I didn't just send my mouth here today. My entire body came with me to church. That would have been kind of scary, wouldn't it? If the body is divided, if a part is cut off, it ceases to function and it dies. And the rest of the body loses some of its effectiveness because that part is gone. The body is immeasurably more than just the sum of its parts. And the church is like the body. It is one. It's to operate in unity with each other. And when we fail to understand that church... When we fail to understand that and we fail to live in light of that, the church becomes hindered in its mission. It becomes hindered in making disciples when we can't stay connected to one another. You know, there, there's a certain um, mountain village in Europe uh, several centuries ago. And there was this noble man who wondered what legacy that he should leave to his town people. And he pondered for weeks and weeks and weeks, what was the legacy that I was going to leave for my people? And he decided at last that he was going to build for them a church. And no one saw, in the entire village, nobody saw the complete plans for the church until it was finished. And when the people gathered, they marveled at the beauty of this building. 
they marveled at the completeness of the building. But then someone said, but where are the lamps? Where are the lamps? It's completely dark inside. How is it going to be lighted? And the nobleman pointed out the brackets along the walls on both sides. And then he gave every family in the village a lamp. And they were to bring it lit every single time that they came to church. And he said, every time that you come, the area where you and your family will be seated will be lit because of your light. And each time that you're not here, that area will be darkened. And this is to remind you that whenever you fail to come to church, some part of God's house is darkened. It's disconnected. When we fail to connect, when we fail to commit to the church and the work of God, things begin to become crippled. They begin to fall apart. And just like the body that is injured and cannot function properly, so is a, a schism, is, is a division, a, a gap, a separation in the body. As believers, we must understand the importance of connecting and committing to the church. We are to live together under the lordship of Jesus. And the second thing we must take note of is that service flows from lives that are connected. Service flows from lives that are connected. The body operates in harmony until one of its members does not. All of the connective tissue in the body is important. How many of you have ever torn your fingernail away on your hand or your toe? Has anybody ever had that happen? That's kind of painful, isn't it? And it's a lingering and lasting pain. This last summer I was doing some work in our barn and I was putting in some new fencing and um, I ran out of screws and I didn't feel like driving back into town and so I thought I would have the brilliant idea uh, of just getting a really long nail and using the very last part of the fencing and just put a four inch nail in. And I was holding that nail and it it was going through beautifully. And then someone started to talk to me and I pulled back and I swung and hit right on top of my thumb. And I I remember dropping that hammer and I remember screaming like a small child, um, deathly afraid because of somebody's Halloween costume. And that finger instantly turned black and blue and purple. And about three days later, the nail began to peel back from my thumb and it was one of the most painful experiences in my life I've had surgeries they've removed a piece of my jaw uh, about six years ago I remember all of these different things that have occurred in my life and the different pain that I have endured and for whatever reason that one pain hurt me the most The nail that protects my skin was completely ripped away. What about that moment when you stub your toe? And not just any toe, but you catch your pinky toe on the side of a piece of furniture that does not budge. It's like your entire life just flashed before your eyes. And that one moment... 
I've always wondered what our reactions would look like on video when things like that occur. I wonder what my wife was seeing when I smashed my finger with that hammer. Did my wife think maybe I shouldn't have talked to him? Or did she think maybe I should have done it sooner? I don't know. Right? What, what happens? What, what, about, what about those of you who have had kids? Right? And you're in the pitch black and you're trying to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you step on a Lego. And not just a little one, but a big Lego. Right? All of these things occur and they happen to us. And Paul is sitting here telling us these things that cause us pain are there for a purpose. The things in your body that are interwoven and interconnected, they help you know that you're still functioning the way that you're supposed to. You're still connected with the body. The brain is telling you there's pain in your foot. The brain is telling you that your nail is gone and it's throbbing. Your brain is telling you there's something going on that you need to address. There's something that you need to fix. And that's what Paul has been sharing. He's been trying to say, hey, once, once you get things in order, you begin to realize that your toe is not more important than your eye. Your fingernail is not more important than your finger. Your hand is not more important than the heart inside your body. And nothing is more important than the head. Nothing. Because the head is that of Christ. I want you to look back with me at verse number 18 and see what happens. He says this, but as it is, God arranged. That's a beautiful, beautiful statement for the Christian. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on those parts of the body they, that we think less honorable, we bestow the great honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. With our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. I want to stop right there for just a moment. You know, in this life, we, we tend to only focus on the seen parts of the body, not the invisible. I mean, think about it. We, we tend to be thankful for the external things, but most of us are not waking up every morning praying and thanking God for our internal organs. We don't. Until something starts causing us an issue or a problem, right? In fact, many times we go to the doctor for a pain that we can't even see. Something that's going on internally. If the invisible doesn't work, then the visible doesn't work either. It's the invisible part that makes the visible part work. We are all connected and we all need to submit to the head and serve you have a part that only you can fulfill here in this church, whether it's visible or it's invisible. You have a part to fulfill here. God wants us connected, committing, and serving together. You see, there's something beautiful here in the text that we should have the same care for one another. 
I don't know about you if you've been in church any length of time, but in all of my years of ministry, I've come to realize that Satan knows that if he can get us not caring, that he's taking the same attitude as Cain in Genesis 4. If he can get us to not care, we have the same attitude as Cain, and that attitude brings rebellion against God's plan. In a church, we are to care for one another. And so you're like, Pastor, what is the point? What is the point? Well, as a pastor, I care about everyone. But I can't care for everyone. It's a physical impossibility in my life. That's why we have a church. We have a church so that we can care for each other. We have a church so that we can be connected. And in essence, this is what serving one another is about. I want you to write this down and take note. Caring for one another is service in action. Caring for one another is service in action. One of the saddest parts about being a pastor is that I see oftentimes that our culture is so permeated with a consumer mindset and it's begun to invade the church. Lots of people want church but don't want commitment and accountability and service that comes with being a part of a church body. Like, we have this cruise ship mentality. Like, when you go on a cruise, how many of you have ever been on a cruise before? Or you know, uh, know about it, right? When you step onto the cruise ship, everybody does everything for you. Everybody. Uh, one, one, uh, one year, several years ago, some really close friends of my wife and I uh, went on a cruise and they came back and they were telling us about the cruise and about the different things that occurred. And they were like, um, on our last night on the cruise ship, uh, the people who were running the cruise ship had all of the staff come out and take a bow for everybody that was in the dining hall. And he snapped pictures because he said, I was completely shocked to see so many people just continuously coming out from behind the scenes. He's like, there were so many hands that made that cruise ship work. It was unfathomable. He said, people just kept coming and I, I couldn't even count fast enough. The number of people that made that cruise ship what it was supposed to be. I was thinking about that conversation when looking at the church in our culture and I had this thought that too many people want to cruise into, into, into church. They want to cruise into a worship service on Sunday and they want to enjoy all of the perks of being a part of a church. They, they want to be served. They want to be a sponge and just take everything all in. But they don't they don't want to give it back. Christian, in here this morning, church, friend, the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. It's a battleship and it's all hands on deck. We are connected and we are to be committed and, and submit to the will and the plans and the purposes of our Heavenly Father. And I believe a, a, a verse 
that Jesus spoke in the book of Mark should be tattooed upon the Christian's life. Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so we, we come to the end of this first part of, of me talking about serving. And I have three questions that I, I want to close with. Three questions. The first is this, am I connected to the body of Christ? Am I connected? Meaning, meaning am I a believer? Have I surrendered and submitted my life to Christ? Not just to, to have a get out of hell free card, but have I submitted to Christ in my life? Am I connected? The second, am I connected to the cause of Christ? Meaning, am I willing and able to make disciples who make disciples? Man, a church cannot call itself a biblical church unless it has some focus on discipleship, on making disciples. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave the great commission Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, teaching them what the Lord had said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and this is the command that I give to you, the command that I give. So am I committed to the cause of Christ? And then the last one is, can I be counted on for service in the church of Christ? Am I serving here in the church, you know, the unique thing about our church is that um, we, we are a smaller body numerically. Um, but if you want to be technical with it, we're the second largest church in our community. That's kind of scary, isn't it? We are the second largest body of believers that gathers together on a Sunday morning. Right here in town. And unfortunately, there are times where because of the size of our church, there are people that have to serve in multiple capacities. There are people that have to cover, you know, one week over here and then a week over there in a different, in a different ministry. We had Rick get up last week and share, you know, that we needed help with the cleaning team, but the cleaning team is not the only ministry that needs help. Our tech team needs help. People who can run slides on the computer. People who can listen and make adjustments to our sound. There are children downstairs every single week that, that need, we need people serving with our children. We, we have teens that meet every single Sunday night for the most part. And right now, we have two people that serve down there. That's great. That, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have more. Maybe you have a gift or, or an ability to play an instrument. <clears throat> you, should, you should probably join the worship team in, in some capacity. And then as, as, um, as my prayer, my prayer director is like, hey, hey, um, I wanted to actually address this one last because this is my, my challenge, right? Every one of us in here can pray. Every single one of us. Not, not, not that we can, we should. We should be praying for our church. 
man, we need greeters. We, we need people who are willing to stand at the connection point. We have lots of needs here in the church. Am I, am I able to be counted on for service in the church of Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, today, Lord, and we just thank you for um, this beautiful uh, portion of Scripture that gives us a perfect analogy of how we're supposed to be functioning as a church body. And, and God, I ask now that we would take these, uh, these three questions, these three challenges to heart, that we would seek you um, and seek your word and that we would put them to practice, that, that we would, if we have not done so, that we would become um, a part of your family, God, that we would pray for salvation, that we would submit and surrender to you, and that if we are a part of that family, God, that you would give us boldness um, to, to speak uh, on behalf of, of you and, and then the cause uh, of, of your son to bring forth the gospel to lost and hurting people. But first and foremost, Lord, to be connected in serving here in your body so that we as a, as a church can be a picture uh, to the outside world of something that is functioning well uh, under, the, under the guise of, of truth. And so, Lord, I'm asking now uh, that you would continue to challenge us, that you would bring us back safely uh, this next week, and that you would um, give us something fresh uh, and new um, as we encounter uh, those in our circles of influence who need you and need your grace. Uh, give us divine moments and opportunities to speak truth this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, church, for being here uh, with us this morning for worship. We love you. Um, and uh, please, please remember, youth group is tonight at 5 p.m. If you have questions about the parent meeting that's happening, uh, you can stop and see Kether and Jordan Town. Um, and then we will be available to you if you need prayer uh, or counsel uh, down here in the front. Uh, we love you guys and you are sent.